0: the questions that I'm asking them is how do you personally deal with change so if you're trying to convince other people to change with you you've got to be prepared to change yourself
1: hi this is the bring a brick podcast interviewing professionals from around the world who use improvisation in their work and in their life I'm your host John Cooper My guest this show is Paul Goddard. Paul is a coach in agile development and a certified scrum trainer, which sounds a little bit like rugby, but it's not. He's the founder of training company Agilify and his book, Improving Teams, or Improving Teams, if you see how it's written on the cover, brings together his work in agile and improv theatre and highlights the overlaps and connections between the two. Hi, Paul.
0: Hello. How are you doing, John?
1: I'm really good. I'm really good. Thanks for doing this. I have finished reading your book. It's a very interesting read. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank uh, you very much.
1: Was that an accurate enough description of you?
0: Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, okay. that's, that's, uh, pretty, I've got some weird job titles that I probably need to explain. but uh...
1: <laughs> Yeah, well, well, please do. I, I've um, only come across Agile in, in the last year. Okay. But beh- having the curious mind that I've got, and certainly when you kind of drew the comparisons, I was like, ooh, okay, what's that? Because mm-hmm. I, I was literally doing a workshop last year last fortnight um, okay. with, with some guys who did Agile and, yeah. and I didn't know what it was but then I, I, the situation came about I saw your book I ordered your book didn't have time to read it Took went into this workshop which was all about <laughs> presenting skills and storytelling and yeah. I just left the book on the table and at the end okay. of the workshop pointed at the guy and said oh ooh ooh and we both had this little moment of oh that's a thing that's a thing yeah, yeah so it's <laughs> kind of I, I couldn't elaborate on it because I didn't really know anything about Agile but this guy did okay. and it's kind of like I was coming in one direction he was coming from the the other um and and he was interested in it as well so can you tell okay. us a bit more about about what you do and the world of agile
0: yes yeah, so i'm i say it's my my most um fitting title i suppose is agile coach so what that kind of means is i am um, i coach software teams primarily um in how to take a more agile approach to, to their work which basically means in a nutshell trying to take a more lightweight and uh, more um more responsive, reactive, adaptable way to how they work and how they run projects. So this kind of formally came around in 2001 with something called the Agile Manifesto, okay. which was a group of um, consultants put together some ideas around how we should change our approach to developing software. Okay. And it kind of grew from there. So I've been, since probably about 2003-ish, so kind of what's that, the last 14 years or so, Yeah, yeah. I've been mainly more into coaching and helping teams adopt those kind of techniques uh, so the scrum element of what i do is scrum is one uh, particular framework within that kind of agile way of working which teaches people how to use a, a particular set of rules to apply to projects to help them focus in a more of an agile fashion that's kind of what i do
1: okay and and how did that come back was that was that because technology and culture changes so quickly that it's not it's it's unhelpful to have a linear structure to things exactly
0: right yeah you yeah pretty much nailed it there so kind of um traditional software development was very much um, Built around plans, you start. You know, you you come up with a plan on day one, and you kind of go through that process. You don't really go back and review the plan, but you just kind of hope that the plan was right, and you tell your customers that the plan's right, and then you hope you cross your fingers by the time you get there that everything's done.
1: Yeah,
0: that's obviously an extremely risky way of working.
1: Yeah,
0: in software particularly, where there's a a high degree of change, so where customers change their mind or where technology changes in terms of your implementation plan is likely to change your plans themselves if you come with them on day one are very r- at risk of being wrong so agile was kind of designed as a way to look at your planning in a more agile fashion trying to do it more in short term chunks so okay. review it after every couple of weeks and then change your plans work tightly with your customers and perhaps even re- delete, uh, release par- parts of their product earlier rather than wait until right, to, uh, right, right until the end to get it done so it's, it's a more lightweight more um, value driven iterative incremental way of, of producing projects
1: Okay. Can you, can you potentially give us an example of a situation you've come across where, where that's helped? And then we'll try and link that into the improv.
0: Yeah. So, well, when I worked in BT, there's a couple of good examples of work we did um, with the NHS. or which is, I've got to be careful what I say there. But um, certain projects that we did whereby we were working tightly with the customer. And what we'd planned to do was originally like a 12-month project. Uh, we showed the customer probably after four eight weeks about what we produced so far, and they yeah. kind of said, "You know what? That's that's good enough. Um, I'll take that right now, and and you know I don't really need to develop invest the the other ten months of that project because mm-hmm. I'm pretty much done." The other a good example was um, we had another project different. We're still in BT, but we had a different project. I, we put it in front of our clients after two weeks, and they hated it. Right. So it's a great way of actually saying, "You know what? The product isn't what we want. It's bad news." But I'd rather find out what we didn't want after two weeks yes. than after spending two years on that project so that's kind of, so it can be a benefit, but sometimes the failure can be a benefit as well.
1: You have to show them what they don't want in order to work out what they do want.
0: Exactly right. Yes, yeah. exactly right. Brilliant. A lot of people don't know that until they see something they don't want,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fascinating because that's the, um, just my, my background in, in web design. I built the Bring a brick site and I've got a history in that outside of improv. Um, the, 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 that, that communication stuff at the very beginning of the process... Yeah, uh, is really fundamental and it can just, you know, you, you can think you're on the same page as somebody mm-hmm. um, but just very subtle language shifts can suddenly mean, oh, when you said this, I thought you meant X, Y, Z
0: Exactly, yeah So um, one of the key things about Agile as well is about trans- 100% transparency, the idea is that feedback is a key part of the, the value, so in in showing, apps, you know, showing real products, working functionality of what you've got produced rather than documents or plans that suggest what we think we've done yeah actually gives you real feedback to say yes you're on the right track or no you've done you've done the wrong thing so the cost of change is potentially lower
1: yeah okay Let, let's then bring this round to uh how this this is Paul the agile trainer when when did <laughs> when did you discover improv how what was your route into improvisation
0: um in theater well i've it's always been there probably in the back of my mind ever since kind of school really i kind of i did a bit of school and i kind of Was quickly told, Paul, this isn't the right thing to do at school. You know, you've got to get. (laughs) You're not 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 spending any money doing it. So I was was probably my I blame my parents and I blame my teachers, but I was probably pushed away from that more in school. But I've always been a massive fan of kind of whose line I suppose was my was my first exposure to improvisation theatre and and televised kind of comedy. Yes, Um, and I I kind of that that disappeared probably was it, in the late 80s, early 90s, I imagine, but. Um, I was kind of reintroduced to it uh, at the Comedy Store in London, probably about, I'm, I'm probably thinking now, 2005, no, sorry, yeah. 2012, 2012-ish. Okay. About the London Olympics, I think it was. So we, I think it was just literally, um, we were a few of us were in London one night and at a loose end, and we said, oh, look, there's someone called the Comedy Store Players, and um, they were on in London. So we just basically bought some tickets and went in and it, it was improvised an improvised comedy show obviously i know, I know you 've had Neil Malarkey on on the uh, the podcast on previous yes. weeks, so Neil was kind of my um, my way in, my way back in so I think either I tweeted him or I, I kind of um, spoke with him after the show um, and said how how inspiring it was and, and how close we got talking about the fact of how closely linked it is to it is to business and kind of Way people think about responsiveness, yeah. and I saw on, what I saw on stage was a very was basically gave giving me tools and techniques that I could teach in my classes mm-hmm. to help people um, adjust to change, yeah, to to adopt change and to kind of embrace change as a positive thing, which is obviously what improvisers do on stage all the time. So that was kind of 2012 was my kind of link. Uh, I found my way back into improv, and I thought there's there's something in this. There's something that I could make more of. And I could use more of my training and my coaching.
1: Okay, how much of yourself would you do? Are you? Would you describe yourself as a performer?
0: No, not really. No, I'm. No. I, I'm, I'm more of a. Like I say, I, I'm probably a trainer, coach, a software guy. That's that's likes and tries to do a bit of performance, but I'm in no way am I. Would I say? Would I say I've got a, a, a grounding or a. A teaching uh, background in, in, in performing but no it's something i enjoy doing and and p- having said that performing is part of my job uh, you know kind of being a, a trainer you have to you are in a sense performing to to the classes that you teach but um I think no. I wouldn't class myself as a performer. No. Yeah,
1: in- interesting. I mean, I asked that question just because it's pressing in my mind. The previous podcast before you that went live today uh, is Kathy Salet, who who runs Performance of a Lifetime in in New York, and she says everything's a performance. So it's kind of I've got that buzzing around in true. the back of my head. Because um, yeah. obviously, if you're training and you're coaching, you are up front. You're standing there, and you're kind yeah. of you. You are. So I, I understand. I'm not a theatrical performer, but there isn't yeah. when if you're. In the in the improv space, I'm guessing there's there's facets of performance within what you do. Um, yeah. Okay. So wh- when did the idea when did you begin to connect these two things together, agile and improv? When when did when did you start to see the the overlaps, so to speak?
0: So I think, uh, like I said, from watching these performances by the players and and speaking to to, um, to Neil offline. I read some books. I got. I mean, I was hugely influenced by Keith Johnston and, and his work, um, and his first, well, his first book, really, which was, I still read now. But um, I first got, got into a bit of reading a bit about it and kind of um, looking for links. I, I, I think the first, my first kind of um, experiment that I ran was, was a, um, a seminar about, a kind of a, um, a session I ran at an Agile conference in Dallas. Okay. I can't remember. No, it was Washington. No, I can't, honestly can't remember. Not important. It was in America. So one of the big Agile conferences, um, Agile 2012 it was, um, so kind of August in 2012, and um, I put some improv into my talk, and people just kind of loved it, and people thought, this is amazing, and, and the the links that you made. I made some links to how, how this kind of improv way of thinking can help problem solve It was about problem solving and more, being more creative, and working, and how collaboration can help you be more creative, so yeah. I used a lot of the improv techniques, basically that I just um, repeated some of the stuff that Neil had shown me, mm-hmm. and I did it I did some one to one workshops with with Neil and, and he was giving me some some games and stuff to play, so I just reproduced those, yeah, and I was quite overwhelmed by how much people could relate to it and how much how enjoyable people found it, so it wasn 't just about the learning part of it, it was about people were kind of reflecting themselves and, and enjoying themselves with that process and I think that's kind of where I thought this has actually got some kind of mileage in this and this could go further
1: yeah okay that's interesting because it's one thing that I was going to kind of bring up in terms of obviously when you're improvising and you've got these games and they're a lot of fun it's uh, that the element of how you do the how how you introduce this stuff to a new group of people who have not done it before. And and how much it's, you have attraction towards it, and how much you may have resistance against it. In terms of mm. this is this is a lot of people just having fun, but what are the practical takeaways? So you saying you're saying that that was a, immediately the connection
0: was made. Yeah, I think it just it something that happened in that workshop. I think I think uh, agile and and improv to a degree suffer from the same kind of legacy in terms of people think that. When you say i mean i'm very careful about even the words that i use mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> if i if I was to go into a group of software developers and talk and say the word improv," yes. they'd probably they'd run a mile, yeah. so the idea is i I don't really talk about improv I talk and if i I mention i'm not going this isn't about really performance i'm not going to I'm not going to humiliate you or, or ask you or embarrass yourselves mm-hmm. um but I'm, it's basically about being open to, to, to different sorts of um, techniques and different sort of learning. And it does d- really depend on my rapport with, with my clients or whoever I'm using this stuff with that even in that that first session um, at the Agile conference, I, I introduced the Agile way of working late, kind of halfway through a 90-minute workshop. So okay. I'd already kind of invested a bit of time in in getting to know people and people feeling that, that sense of vulnerability yes. and the fact that, it's okay to screw up, and I, I always start with games that basically allow people to screw up and but not be judged on screwing up. That, that basically everyone's going to screw up during this workshop, and we're not going to humiliate you or laugh at you. It's just part of that process, that uh, that learning process, that you become comfortable with with not being perfect. And yeah. I think that's that's something I kind of frame it. Sometimes I'll disguise it. And I'll do it in forms of Games or exercises up front, but um, if once I develop more of a rapport with a client, perhaps on a more kind of private level, um, it might be something that I'll just go straight into without too much kind of uh, preparation.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that making failure acceptable in order to mm. learn the, the big ideas as well as the cheap experiments. Um, thing which obviously we do learn in improv and is, is a key part of that, you know, enjoying messing up and it doesn't matter if it goes wrong because it's funny right. and, and th- that subtle distinction obviously when you introduce that to people who are transitioning in your world from traditional software development approaches to the agile way of working. Um, do you come up against any resistance of people going? We don't. We we can't fuck up. We mustn't fuck up. And kind of oh, yeah. unlocking that sort of speak. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. And it's the fear of failure is is massive in terms of um yeah um kind of a, lo- a logical progression. It's all built on computer science. So imagine that all these these guys that I've been I'm working with computers, um, scientists, mm-hmm. software developers, software engineers, scientists, engineers that that have a belief that there is. A one truth to this that there is a plan yes. there is a lot there is a logical progression of this work and if we do all the things build the jigsaw in that way then the right answer will come at the end and so however software development um customers mindsets doesn't work in that kind of way that that change is something that that is is, is accepted that will happen change is going to happen at some point it's how we can we be prepared to deal with it so the difficulty is is convincing people firstly that um, that, cha- firstly that change firstly the change is going to happen, and how do you adjust to the change personally and this is what I think some of the biggest advantages of improv can have is that it's not just really about the games it's it's about how do you personally respond to change how do you personally deal with uncertainty and even the people that I'm teaching who are, uh, uh, largely i'll teach coaches who are trying to advocate the use of, of Scrum or Agile in their teams, yeah. the questions that I'm asking them is, how do you personally deal with change? So if you, you're you trying to convince other people to change with you, yes. you've got to be prepared to change yourself. So it's really interesting. Sometimes I'll get some of the biggest advocates of Scrum or Agile in my courses or my classes, but when I give them an improv exercise, they really struggle because they can't kind of think on their feet and they, they find it very difficult to change. So it's um, it's a really interesting um, learning technique that I'll, that I'll use I think it's a really advantageous skill to have if you, if you can have that adaptability to change yourself yeah. I think you'd be much better at pro- promoting it within your, within your organisation
1: Yeah, because I, I'm, I, I'm assuming correct me if I'm wrong, that when you start talking to those people about that kind of subject on that level, it suddenly stops becoming about the facts and the goals and the written word and it's entirely about the individual and the person that you're speaking to and their exactly. character Mm-hmm. Um, and there's character strengths and weaknesses. So in mm-hmm. in that in, that that is kind of that is improv and That is performance because it's kind of like you know how do you how you deliver those kind of things relate to your your personal strengths, of and your do, character yeah. strengths.
0: Yeah, and we, I I take a great deal of um, insight from the people that I work with. It's not so I, I deal sometimes I'll, I'll have an organisation or a company that will come to me and ask me to go and run a course or ask me to go and help them on this change. Part of this change management initiative, they're trying to transform their company to a more agile way of working. So, yes. and I, I, I look so much for the, you know, working with the people, and I think the measure of their success is largely in the individuals, in the peoples that the people mm-hmm. that I meet. If they are open to change, yes, then I'm generally more positive and more um, optimistic about their chances of their company transforming to a more a change rich company. So. But you know you can imagine the opposite of that. that if I'm t- speaking to people that don't like the idea of change, then it's probably never going to work. So, I think the personal element to it, the personal agility, if you like, of, of yeah. people, um, is something that improv can really it can really tap into and can really expose um, and kind of catalyse this idea of, of if you practice this stuff. You know even i, I encourage people to, to do this stuff in front of the mirror you don't have to perform it but just perform yeah. it to yourself practice this stuff with the family or you know with your friends and uh, with people that you do trust then you might find that you become more open to to change in itself
1: yeah there's a couple of things in your book uh, which which I picked up on which I found really interesting in a in a, in a book that's about agile development um <laughs> which is there was there was the one which is um slowing the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little note on slowing the mind, and the one about looking in the mirror as you're saying, and just slowing down getting dressed and looking at yeah. yourself in the morning, and it's kind of like, that's that's a nice, um, very much, not, I hate to use the word outside the box, outside the box is not <laughs> the word I am looking for, but... Um, I know uh, what you mean. Yeah, and it's like, I, I'll even go so far as to make... Um, because, you know, I, I can go from like software development to, to improv and then I can look at the bit where you say slow the mind. Oh yeah, I slow the mind once a week. Where do you do that? I do that in a yoga class where I sit down <laughs> and I, like like the last week, uh, incredibly unproductive day, um, caught myself sitting with my shoulders up around my ears, hunched um, and crumpled. I went and did my weekly yoga class where I slow the mind and just... The, the rest of the day, the rest of the evening was one of the most productive evenings I've had in ages. And mm-hmm. and that is totally something that is, it's not improv, it's not um, development, it's not web design, it's not any of the other things I do. Uh-huh. But it's very relevant. It's incredibly relevant. And I, do, and I do think it feeds back to that set of fundamental skills, which mm-hmm. kind of is... In the way that you think about you think about and allow yourself to do stuff i'm not I'd, I don't want to get into the realms of mindfulness and say oh i I am trying to find the places where these things are connected, but I'm not trying to go, "Oh look, the universe is all connected it's all kind <laughs> of man everything's magical and wonderful, and we're all kind of spirit beasts. That's not what I'm interested in, but I am interested in the very where we can legitimize." Mm. legitimize this stuff as going look this this might sound like it's outside somebody's comfort zone but it is actually a very practical tool that can be used and brought to bear and mm. it's how you communicate that i've gone off on a massive tangent there but it was <laughs> yeah, in your but, right. but, but it was in your book and it occurred to me so it's kind of like <laughs> so it's there
0: And um, want well, to just just to add into that again to link this back to the agile stuff so agile software to, the, the kind of the myths. A lot, there's a lot of myths about agile software development. People believe it's something that isn't. One of them, uh, one of the main ones, is that people think that uh, the agile software development is about speed, okay. thinking that it's about getting stuff done quicker, getting you know getting more products out quicker. It, is, there, is
1: there a thing called the sprint?
0: Well, no, yeah, some of the, the terminology doesn't help you, and that's what that's a Scrum, um, one of the Scrum um, term terms. But a sprint is just a time box; it's a, it's a piece of work. It's a less, typically two weeks long. But people think that it's all about production um, speed and and, and efficiency, mm-hmm. whereas in fact, um, to, to, I think, and I tell them, my my uh, my clients this and my delegates this that to get. More out to become more agile, you in fact you've probably got to slow down. You've probably got to slow down and re- reflect on your process and kind of learn how to do it better, slower before you can get faster. So, yeah, slowing down is generally, it, even though it's, it's probably not a particularly sexy thing to do, but it is, it's a essential thing to do to learn to reflect on your process and on how you. On how you produce products on that on how you get out of bed in the morning it is, It's it's very much in in everything we do and we get into routines yes. you know we we think that projects are and even projects that we follow are, are complete are routines well we did it this way before we must do it this way again, and without slowing yourself down and rethinking that, you will probably never come up with anything different a different way of, of how we do it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's something I'll, I've I've possibly mentioned to another guest in a different episode, which is when I'm teaching stand-up comedy and the ability to get people out and kind of thinking on their feet in front of an audience. Because when you're young and when you're a kid, you you can just talk about anything you like and you don't need prompting. And mm. your brain needs to become more efficient, so it builds pathways mm. to and and it can't jump off the tracks. So it makes itself efficient, and when it does that, it can shut down certain avenues Again, yeah. of your third processes, which is, you know, the physiological thing that it does. So, uh, uh, you know, as you're saying, it's how do you, how do you get off the tracks? so yeah. to speak in terms of that stuff um speaking of time boxes mm-hmm. um and again looking at your book i have never seen improv games described in that way and i'm assuming that's a, an agile thing you have get, uh, definitions of games like story spine and stuff like that mm-hmm. and then the way the way you've defined it is you've got players time box energy devil verbal physical and and it's like and a very analytical way of describing an improv game. I've never seen. Is, is that is that a, is that an agile thing? Is that a terminology thing?
0: No, I think it's just probably something I was. I, I think my audience would. Um, I was trying to look look at who my audience was for this book, and yes, a lot of the people that um, I work with a lot of someone called a scrum master. So, so scrum masters are, are facilitators of the scrum process. It's it's, it's probably one of the most misunderstood. Um, I think even on I saw on twitter today it 's if you look at the independent um website today, the independent newspaper mm-hmm. uh, they 've reported on the ten weirdest job titles okay. in the u k for two thousand and seventeen and Scrum Master is number eight in that wow. list so there you go it 's um it's but it 's one of the most <laughs> misunderstood but most commonly used. So, Scrum Masters are, are, are facilitators of the Scrum process that I teach. Yeah. So, I, aimed, um, I was aiming uh, this book at largely, um, um, hopefully, some Scrum Masters. So, if you're a facilitator of a, of a session and you want to, before you go in, you want to have an idea of which games you want to play, I'm just trying to give people a bit of a heads up on what type of things you want to get out of this. You know, Are you looking for people to look at their own individual skills or more of a team based uh, skill game? Uh, visual, verbal, yeah, that kind of thing. Just uh, what what types of skills are essential, and what what types of skills do you put on a practice? Yeah, and yeah. when you can squeeze these things in, you know, it wasn't a particularly agile thing. It's just probably. so I think it was Paul said Jackson that gave me that idea. Ah, uh, okay. I give you credit for that one.
1: Yeah, when when did the idea of the book come about? When did it occur to you to kind of like, okay, I can should I put this down in a, in in writing?
0: Um, I think it was probably after that that session. I did a couple of other. Um, Conferences and I did I was doing more and more of the improv stuff I was reading a lot about it in my own time, so it's just probably one of those things it wasn't i don't think it was something that I, I thought there was a gap in the market that I need to fill mm-hmm. I think it was just something that a personal pet project i'd probably say something i wanted i wanted to write I wanted to prove it to myself that I could write um I wanted to produce something I wanted to have you know i wanted to, something to uh, to remember you know this this kind of stuff by and I think it was just yeah it's just a pet project and it, and it's something uh i got I wanted to write about something that I enjoyed, and i it, the passion for me was something that probably made the book um made the book uh, happen yeah. as I think I would have just quite easily have, have, have lost interest in it, but because I love the subject so much and the subject matter is so important to me and I think so essential that it, that kind of kept the book going yeah and uh and it, i hope for, i think it, i wrote it Probably i think it was about 18 months it took me to write it which some people would say that's quite quick for a book but um yeah i think that was the drive behind it was was the love of the of the subject i think of both subjects coach agile coaching and, and improv which i think are just so closely aligned yeah, it I was expecting
1: well. it to be quite dense and technical, but it's actually a really easy read. It's a really mm-hmm. nice, flowing read. Um, Thank you. I I digested it really quickly and, and was surprised by because because it was a technical thing. I had a little bit of fear when I ended. Am I under, am I going to? Oh, it's improvising. Oh no, it's agile development. I know nothing about that. <laughs> Why have I got this yeah. book? Because I want to know. But oh, is it going <laughs> to? Am I going to? Am I going to frighten myself by not knowing what any of this means? But it's it's such a nice, easy. It, 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 it's like I feel like I know you a bit more from having read the book because yeah, it's there's a funny. sense. Of language. Of
0: my, my kids come through it quite a lot, as you'll yeah. probably see. Um, there's a lot of references to my family and stuff, which I get a lot of my ideas from as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I give them some credit for that.
1: It was yeah. It was. Re- I really liked the way you did related back to the personal. You say you're not a performer, but you're a performer in writing, um, <laughs> because you, you you the storytelling aspects and the five S's that you've kind of picked out and, yeah. and the way it's done. It's 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 what? How did you approach the structure in terms of picking out those those five S's? What is it? Uh, safety status? Yeah, I think the order
0: of them was important to me. I think the whole the, the idea of safety first is that the if you can get if you can create a safe environment, which I think is. It just makes any kind of team team-based activity a lot easier yeah um so i wanted i always knew that that was going to be the and i think that was probably even the first chapter i wrote but um it was i wanted it to be around to to build that into the book that if you read the book in the in that order by the end of it by the the, the fifth chapter was always going to be around that the, Well, the end chapter was always going to be about the personal stuff about how you mm-hmm. can Look, look within yourself and try and improve your the softer skills of, yes. which will make you a better improviser yeah. or a better um, collaborator. So, and there was just the other stuff. Status was really interesting to me, uh, or as the Americans say, status. Uh, yeah. Which I have to keep yeah. correcting myself. But um, no, that was always really, and I think there was a huge. And me and Neil spoke a lot about that together, about the the business element of, of status mm. in terms yeah. of how. That reflects all the time in business that people pay so much attention to job titles and perceived status, and yeah. you know they play they play a deliberate status, or sometimes they they unintentionally play status within their roles. That was really interesting to me, and how that can affect collaboration.
1: Yeah,
0: and yeah, the other the, the two um, storytelling and, and spontaneity. It was again Keith Johnston was a huge influence, and in, in his writing about just trying to take away some of the filters. And if, once you feel safe, you have you can reduce some of those filters and say what you think, and you can be more responsive and and uh, more creative if you've got less, you know, if you think less about what you're saying. Um, and the storytelling is is a huge, probably one I'm, I'm focusing on more now. Actually, the storytelling part, which is becoming more popular. Um, and in a Scrum team, there's someone called a product owner. So the product owner is basically your customer representative, someone who kind of guides the project in the right direction. They've got a close connection with your client or your customer. And I try and coach these people to try and be storytellers, to put their basic storytelling techniques, to try and increase the sense of narrative within a team. So if the team can understand the narrative behind the product, they'll build a better product, and they'll just be more engaged in its delivery. So the the storytelling is is an important part to me, and I think it's something we we don't take we don't give enough attention to creating compelling narratives for for teams to work with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of compelling narratives and and products, uh, what kind of, do do the clients that you have that you work with tend to be similar in terms of what they, what they do or do you have quite a diverse range of people that you work
0: with? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it is pretty diverse. I mean, it goes as far. I've done work with kind of um, boutique travel agencies all the way up to, Kind of multinational telecoms and uh, medical software, um, small medical software suppliers. So it's 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 a, it's a whole range of stuff. And I, I would say that the, the the better the sense of narrative is stronger within some of the. So I, I do quite a lot of work with a local um, company who produces this medical software. It's software to basically maintain um, patient data for okay. for GPs and and health services around the UK. And they've just got a really compelling narrative that they are saving lives. And because, in, in fact, if you get, you're producing a system that maintains mental health data, um, the, 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 the willingness for, for to, if you get it right, if you put the right data in front of the right GP or the right consultant at the right time, you could prolong, save people's lives. Or, wow. if you, it, consequently, if you get it wrong, <laughs> if things go wrong, you know we, we, it's the it's the worst case. It's the other way around. So where there's a real strong connection between real people, uh, real customer problems, mm-hmm. or or real customer benefits, real user benefits, then I think yeah. that's where you have the real the real collaborative attitude and the real um, company kind of ethos that I'd like to be part of, and I, I really enjoy um, working with those people.
1: Yes, yes, well, yeah, good clients are key. Yeah. Um, do you, so, would you regard yourself as getting in on the ground floor in terms of this agile development stuff? Were you there at the beginning of that, or was it there before you arrived?
0: No, I can't take. I, I got involved kind of in 2003-ish. I think. I mean, the agile manifesto was created formally in 2001. So, but this kind—it of, mainly stems from the the, the U.S. These um, these were consultants working with in the, kind of the mid 90s. Um, and producing using um, these techniques on, on projects but kind of out of the public eye and it first kind of came um became published in 2001 and i kind of jumped on that bandwagon i was working for bt british telecom and, and they were yeah. some of the first kind of um big companies to be looking at these agile approaches and i was kind of kind of a uh, Pushed into those kind of areas when I was working at BT in, in a, as a, as a young, relatively young developer then. But um, yeah, I kind of got involved 2003, and I, I became more. I took more of a coaching role once BT um, took a bit more uh, took it a bit more seriously. They asked people like me to help some other people do it, and I kind of got pushed into more of a coaching and teaching role from BT in, in that point.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, Something I observe in terms of um, improv training, which I wonder if there's a parallel between Agile, is that it tends to be be something that is taken up by larger companies because it's the larger companies that need to take the risks or are prepared to take the risks versus smaller companies that maybe aren't aren't as prepared to, but aren't in that position, so to speak. Do do you find that it's larger organisations that you work with or does that
0: vary? um good question i think i think it varies i think i think i'll usually have a more of a success probably with smaller companies if anything okay uh in terms of i think they're just more more open to different ideas i mean i I come from a big company background where where change was 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 our was our enemy right so in terms of i worked at bt and nokia and places like this where it was big scale big change and um but i mean to be, to be fair bt there was a risky um when i was working at bt there was there was a huge emphasis on a falling share price and things were going badly wrong and mm-hmm. we need to change quickly we need a different way of working so i think the sense of urgency is a reason to change i think um i think the improv stuff would have would have been a bit of a hard sell even for bt at that point just because it, you know it's so focused on results but um I think what's interesting is, um, perhaps not from my own personal experience, but I was talking to a lot of the other coaches and the other improvisers at the Applied Improv uh, Conference in Oxford last year. Yes. And people that have got um, really interesting people that I spoke to that have got like regular um, uh, gigs or residencies, kind of with big software corporations, Google, Intel, Apple mm-hmm. in, in the US. That it's kind of just built into their fabric. This kind of the way of Regular uh, improv drop-in sessions, just a, right. just the kind of lunchtime brown bag sessions for you to go and you know just play at, at lunchtimes and and learn and, and things like that. I think I'd love to see more of that in this country and and, and, comp- and companies that are willing to invest more long term in in that way of thinking. Um, I don't see I, maybe on sheltered here. I don't see much of that. I, I see it more. I, I certainly work more on an informal, ad hoc basis couple of companies just recently. I did some work for the BBC and I did some work for uh, ASOS and Reba. Um, yeah. so, so companies that basically just get me in for a day and say, look, we've got some opportunity here to... to it's a, it's an away day for the team. who want to have some learning whilst having, yeah. some, having some fun. Yeah. So I'll go in and do some stuff there with them and just to help them think differently. But it generally doesn't tend to be big scale stuff. It'll be one particular... Uh, department or one particular um, uh, kind of leader within one to, or manager within a team that's, that wants to take his team through a, a, a kind of a learning experience.
1: Yeah, yeah. There was one that that that's that's fascinating stuff. There's one thing that it's kind of like I I as I say I I've only recently found out about agile mm-hmm. and just just kind of coming back to what you said earlier when you said you wouldn't necessarily talk about improv upfront. Mm. Um, and and I certainly don't do that either. Even though I've interviewed guys like Pat Short in the States, in Portland, who, who literally, I teach improv, we do improv, this is what we do. And it's, yeah. it's a front and centre, because that's what he does. And it's kind of, it's really commendable. And I wonder if it's a cultural thing between companies or the places that you pitch to and do work with. Or, or I, his... think it could,
0: yeah, I think it could be a geographical thing as well. I think the um, the US, and we noticed this within the agile community as well, don't get me wrong, this isn't just an improv thing. The, so the US, I think, um, are probably... I'd say 10 years ahead of the game in terms of their wow yeah the, the yeah. adoption so you look at that those guys were introducing agile into companies 10 years ago when we when we weren't so they they're 10 years ahead I think and and it's certainly Scandinavia in Europe was ahead of the UK and UK kind of came along in, in kind of 2005 2006 so it was it's 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 going to take time and I think um, it's still you know the the british attitude to um to comedy and kind of uh, performance and, and and the the fear of failure is quite high here that mm-hmm. that people think that they're going to be exposed and humiliated. Yeah. So I think that I think Pat and I, I listened to your the the podcast with Pat and I spoke to him in Oxford last year and I think absolutely I think he's the people that, um, that he works with uh, primarily in the US are completely open to that and that they they've been exposed to to that way of working for a lot longer. So I, I think you're right. I don't mention it here. I, I don't. I'm very careful about the la- the language that I use. Yes. Um- and very much self-deprecating. So it, this is something we do quite well in, in, in Britain as well. Isn't oh, it? We, man, we, we are we, so
1: good at deprecating. I hate, I hate it. it. We I kind of we beat ourselves
0: up before we start. Look, I'd like to try something. It's probably going to be terrible. You know, you can, if yeah. it's really bad, yeah. Oh, you've just hit on be. a
1: really big pet peeve of mine. <laughs> 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 uh, l- literally last week, this presenting workshop where you've thrown people out the comfort zone and they're really loving it and it's kind of, right, okay, you're the king of Norway. Tell us about what your life in one minute. Literally just kind of like... <laughs> Those kind of games, yeah. And just to simple, cheap experiments, throw out yeah. your comfort zone, and 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 one of the guys was. There were a really great bunch of guys. Mm. Um, that was brilliant to work with them. They were all awesome, mm. and I've had this with um ups in my kind of when I when I teach standup comedy in the past. It's happened and it's come up quite a few times where people get up and before this starts kind of well. I don't know about this, but. Does, mm. And it's just a little preamble, a little bit di- like like they've diffused their own energy before they've actually done anything. Absolutely, they've kind yeah. of slapped themselves in the face before they've started speaking. <laughs> it's kind of don't don't do that. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of don't don't kind of dismiss yourself before you've even started. <laughs> um, I, I hear it a lot, and it, and it annoys me. It's kind of just just take a breath and then just start and just go. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, sorry, no I've interrupted no, you there because you, you just you just hit a really raw nerve on stuff that I try to get rid of. It
0: is true, we're terrible. But um, one of the things that I, one of my um, the advantage I have as a Scrum coach, so something within the Scrum framework is um, called the sprint retrospective. So just, let me just explain what that means. So yeah. at the end of a piece of work, typically two weeks or three weeks long you have a regular stop point and the stop point is firstly to review what the product is doing and is it is it the right product are we going in the right direction yeah. the second part of that is a retrospective which is where where the team so the people that have built that product get together and have a chat or have a talk have a discussion to try and and get to the bottom of their process in terms of how, how do we function as a team? How do we need to function better? Mm-hmm. So the idea of that is um, it is a safe meeting. It's something that's not um, – the, the results of which are not broadcast. It's just for the team to talk about and discuss themselves. Yeah. It should be a safe environment for the team to kind of gel and to reform and what, all this type of stuff. So I, I use a lot of the improv stuff. Firstly, um, that's my, I look at that as kind of my way in to a team. Where yeah. you should already be operating in a safe environment, and it might be part of that exercise is to improve the safety, or to, to you know use some safety games to try and make sure people are art do feel safe, yeah, or to even ex- expose. Okay, we're not even there yet. Why why aren't we being um, honest with each other? Why aren't we? Why don't we feel safe uh, in this in this room in these four walls? So, um, but if if we can get past that point, I'll use that meeting as a way to introduce some other stuff. Yeah. So, and if you say the word game usually software teams will be all over it so as long as you don't say improv game you'll be fine right. so yeah, but the idea of gameplay uh in a retrospective is a fairly safe um, way in for me yeah. and i think if people enjoy that element they're probably more willing to try something else or something a bit more stretched yes um, and i do what having said that i still i mean i'm going to a conference next month in um, san diego so I, i'm doing a, an improv session there so that's the advantage there is that you'll get people signing up to a session at a conference fully knowing full full well what they're getting themselves into yeah. that that it is an improv workshop so people in that that respect are a lot more um, it's a captive audience but it, you have to be a bit careful with when you're trying to introduce these things as an agile coach I find at least
1: yeah yeah i mean that's fascinating there that you've kind of you you put a date on the ten year thing. Um, it's kind of, I, I acknowledge that the states are ahead of us. And yeah. Yes, I see that, um, in in some places in europe they're ahead of us as well but it's kind of to suggest it's i was in my head it was like oh two years and you've said 10 and it's like oh no uh it's that much further ahead but it's i yeah i think we'll get there eventually it'll be good to get there eventually um okay i'm gonna kind of try and wrap us up Um uh, what do you what do you get out of the work that you do paul what's what's your big kind of takeaway from from the stuff that you do what what presses your buttons
0: um, it's seeing people. It's seeing occasionally you will get it. It's um, you'll see a conversion, which which sounds very dramatic and, and very That's biblical. But yeah. <laughs> but you'll see people that, and I'll, I'll do like a two day training course, or I'll do a, a session with with a group, and it's seeing someone might even come up to you and say, you know, and they'll say, "Paul, I get it." And when when you get that moment, you get someone who's perhaps skeptical, but they they come out of the experience as a complete advocate. That's where I know that I'm making a difference. It's seeing people people's lights go on. Um, yeah. People, someone that didn't understand something, being able to then look at it in a completely different uh, light is, is really what, what gives me a buzz. And it, it, sometimes I'll get that in an email. I might get a, some, some, some comments that come back on Twitter saying, just thank, thanks for the course. It was inspiring or, or sort of using words like that and empowering is really nice to hear. That's what, that's what I enjoy.
1: Yeah. That's, that's great. That's great. Um, I'm going to put links to your book and your Agilify website on the podcast post. Anything else you want to share, like what you're up to at the minute? Any news?
0: I just came back, it's an interesting thing, but something I just blogged on, actually, which is um, interesting to me about this whole story tonight. I've just been to Disneyland, Disney World, sorry, in Florida with my kids. Great, obviously, great holiday. Really, really warm, really lovely. But um, I was introduced, as you can imagine, to the whole world of Pixar. Uh, but the 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 world of Pixar, obviously, a huge element of, of uh, storytelling in in, and, uh, yes. in the world of Disney. But a very for people, if they want something to go and look at, go and listen to, and, and to go and um, research in terms of what agile what agile companies look like, even though they're not really a software mm-hmm. company. But the things that I that inspire me and the the companies that I think people need to look at and follow, Pixar is a good example of an agile company at heart that's inherently just innovating all the time and changing and adapting and adopting um a lot of good practices that i think um are really interesting from a storytelling perspective yes, as well i, I remember so that, that was and i did on it's really interesting what they're what they're up to and how they work how they function
1: i remember looking on <laughs> their website and they have a thing where their employees can go away and just write stories and do little projects and just come back yeah, and yeah. then that's usually the way that they Generate ideas for the movies that they they get by having story jams yeah. type thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's very very clever, very clever, and how they have work and they believe that stories can come from anyone and anywhere, and they'll just try. They're very experimental, very innovative, and just yeah, quite an inspiring place to work cool. for. I imagine. So that was quite interesting.
1: Cool, Paul Goddard. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, John. Take care. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher or the Facebook page. The website bringabrinkpodcast.com has detailed show notes for all the guests with links to them and their work. If you want to contact me, John Cooper, get in touch and I'll do my best to answer your questions or point you in the right direction. There is a Patreon page where you can help fund the production of the show. If you're enjoying what you're listening to and want to become a Patreon, please click on the link on the website homepage. Contributions go towards website hosting, the time it takes to produce the show, it takes ages and allows me to work on new content that's hopefully valuable, entertaining and informative contributions are based on every new episode released personally i believe that good production values are key to getting more exposure so everything is greatly received just think of it like you buying me a coffee and i'll see you on the next episode